Welcome back to Primetime Kansas City on today's episode. The Royals draft, at least night one of the Royals draft, has just wrapped up. I'm going to go over my thoughts on what they did in the first and second rounds. It was obviously a pretty big draft for an organization that's trending to be one of the worst historically, so I'll talk about that. Um, we'll get into my top 40 quarterbacks list. We've gone from 40 to 21. We'll go from 20 to 11 today. The NBA offseason has been very noisy. Guys like Damian Lillard looking for trade requests. Multiple guys on the move. We'll dive into that. And yeah, we'll just go with the flow of today's show. It's just going to be me today. So let's start with the Royals draft since this is a Kansas City podcast. And I was paying a lot of attention to this leading up. I normally don't care too much about the baseball draft. It's just hard to scout so many high school kids across the country. It's like almost impossible to know all of these guys like you can uh, in the NFL and in the NBA and, you know, sort of that stuff. Um, But the Royals made a very interesting, they had a very interesting night in general. So in the first round, their eighth pick, they took a catcher, Blake Mitchell, out of Texas. He's a catcher. I think I just said that. Uh, Blake Mitchell out of Texas. Um, He is 18, about to turn 19. He's kind of an older 18 for his class. Big guy, 6'1", 202. Um, And I have a lot of mixed feelings about this pick. I'm not going to lie. Number one, I wanted Kyle Teal, who was a catcher out of Virginia, uh, who I thought was an overall better hitter. He was more major league ready. Not that the Royals necessarily need a bunch of major league ready guys. I'm not trying to say that, but I just thought that he was a more refined prospect. And also when you look at it, prep, like high school prep catchers are probably the most risky position to draft. And you look in the last 10 years, I think Tyler Stevenson of the Reds is like the best one out of any of the catchers. I mean, think about the best catchers that have recently, you know, come to the MLB. Adley Rutschman went to Oregon State. He was a college catcher. Those types of guys. It's very, it's become very rare to draft a high school catcher, have him come up through the system and be your everyday catcher um, and be a productive baseball player. It just, that doesn't happen a lot. You look at the numbers, it doesn't happen all that often. So that, that part's concerning. There were just guys on the board I was looking at, and I just thought there was a guy like Jacob Gonzalez out of Ole Miss, like a type of hitter like that. The Royals did get kind of screwed over by this draft lottery because, you know, multiple people, you know, credible people said this is like a five, there's five really good players in this draft, and then it dips. Well, the Royals, if the lottery hadn't happened, would have had the fifth pick. They could have, you know, taken advantage of that. Instead, they fall to eight. Um it's an interesting pick. I The numbers aren't going to be out on what he signed for for a while, so we're going to have to see on that. It has to be underslot. The Royals are the king of the underslot, man. They they will never, ever, ever take a guy for slot value. I mean, unless they literally have to with a guy like Bobby Wood Jr. I mean, you go back, uh, you know, Gavin Cross, it was kind of, you know, about slot. But then you go the year before, Frank Mazzucato, way under slot. So you take a look at that. But a lot of what, you know, this pick, and the reason I didn't even start recording until uh, their second round pick was done is because a lot of, you know, going under slot in the first round sets you up for the second round, uh, and you can get a, you know, kind of an overslot player at that time. I'm not sure they necessarily did that, though, because with the 44th pick, they took Blake Walters, uh, a pitcher out of Arizona, also a high schooler, 18 years old. Um, he's 6'4", 210, got a really, really good fastball. Uh, the slot value for that pick is 1.95 mil. 
you would think that the Royals are probably going to pay a little more on that, considering that they went under slot in the first round, um, or at least it appears that they went under slot. Um, Blake is fine. He's, you know, from what I've seen from him, he's, like I say, he's got an electric fastball. He seems to be, you know, a solid prospect, but I told you prep catchers, high school prep catchers are risky. The second most risky thing to take is a high school pitcher. I mean, it just is. It's hard to know with those two positions. Those two positions just have the biggest, it's like quarterbacks in the NFL, where it's like almost half of them fail every year that you, you know, in the first round. It's very rare, you know, that you have a year where they all are hitting. It's it's tough, but, you know, a lot of those really good arms are coming out of college. Uh, not to say it can't be done, but it, it was just interesting. Um, my biggest gripe is if you wanted to go under slot in the first round to go over slot in the second round to get a better player... I just don't think this guy was worth that. Like, if that was your draft strategy, you know, there was a, you know, when they did the, back in 2013, when they drafted Hunter Dozier under slot, and then came back in the second round and took Sean Manaya over slot. That, 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 that makes sense, right? Like, you're coming back and you're, you're drafting a guy for more, you know, for more money than he's worth in the second round. Uh, and because your first round pick, you, you know, used a little less money than you had to. But this... I'm not, the Royals, let's just say this, the Royals have not earned the benefit of the doubt. If this was an organization like the Astros, I, I would have some faith. The Royals have just not earned the benefit of the doubt. So I'll just say that. I don't think all is doomed. It's not the worst draft. Um, you know, I think I probably felt lower when they took Mazzucato, uh in 2021, even though he's turned into a solid prospect. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. One note, uh, because I'm absolutely insane, that... I'll bring up is that our first round pick Blake Mitchell is born on August 3rd. And guess who else was born on August 3rd? Bubba Starling. Just not good juju there, man. Like, come on, JJ. Like, start start reading up on our history, man. Like, y- you can't do that, man. August 3rd should just be crossed. If, if Blake Mitchell's not good, we can never, ever draft another player for the rest of this franchise's history. That was born on August 3rd. <laughs> that day will just be ruled out forever if we have another bust at that spot. But yeah, man, I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is. I wasn't, you know, over-thrilled with it. I don't even know if that's a phrase, over-thrilled. Regardless, I wasn't too thrilled with it, but, it, you know, it's baseball. It's not like the NFL or the NBA where you kind of know if they had a good draft within the first year or two. Now, you're going to have to wait, especially with these two guys who are not, I mean, they they barely adults at this point. You're going to have to wait probably until uh, 2026, 2027 to really know. Uh, we'll see. They can't mess it up. Like, the the thing going into this is the Royals could not afford to mess mess this draft up. They could not afford to miss it with their eighth overall pick. They needed that to stick when you consider the state of the organization and their farm system. So, I'm really hoping Blake Mitchell can contribute. It does, you know, become interesting. What do you do with a guy like Carter Jensen now, um, who's been, you know, you drafted him two years ago. He's a catcher. Um... And, you know, have they given up on it? I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Um, but, but I, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's a long process in baseball. These guys are just coming out of high school that we're drafting. So it, it'll be a good test for the new kind of foundation and development that the organization brought in during the offseason. Uh, you know, kind of Quatrero's vision-ish stuff. You know, like it, it'll be interesting to see because the Royals have – 
not to use a pun, but the Royals have royally failed at developing young players. Like, they just have. They developed some, you know, like a guy like Bobby Witt, Mikel Garcia. They've gotten some bats up there, but especially pitching, man. You got, you know, I, all, almost every single pitcher they've drafted recently has underperformed. So, yeah, uh, interesting draft. Um, and then, obviously, there's still a shit ton more picks, but uh, let's be honest. I mean, once you get into those, you know, deeper rounds, it's just – you're just trying to find a hidden gem. And you can. I mean, the Royals done Vinny Pasquantino went in the eleventh round. Like it, it will happen. Somebody's gonna get one. The Royals would probably could probably get one as well. But we'll just have to see. I won't I won't really know anything about those guys. So it is what it is. Now let's talk about you know, we just talked a little bit about the draft. Let's talk about the actual team itself because good God does it stink. Like so horrendously bad they're 26 in 65 at the all-star break 26 lousy wins at the all-star break and look every single person in kansas city is bashing them right now is talking shit on them acknowledges they're terrible um you know i'm not i'm basically what i'm saying is i'm nothing special to come on here and you know bag on them it's nothing original for me to come on here and do it. But but I think it has to be done because I don't think the majority of Kansas City or, you know, like the casual, you know, baseball fan understands how bad this organization is positioned right now. I mean, nobody really expected this team to make the playoffs this year. Nobody really expected them to have a winning record. Nobody really expected them to even, you know... In, no one really expected them to do anything serious this year. Like most people, was like, yeah, you know, the, I think the Vegas over under was like sixty eight and a half. Um, yeah, they weren't supposed to be a great team, right? But they weren't supposed to be historically bad. And then when you top that off with the position that the farm system's in right now, where the Royals have one of the worst farm systems in the entire major leagues, which makes no sense. If you're going to have a bad farm system, you're typically a good major league team. It's very rare to be a horrible major league team and have a horrible minor league team. That That is just typically not happening across the league. But the Royals, I mean, it's happening because it's the fucking Royals. And you've got Lonnie Gold, but Lonnie, however you say stupid-ass last name, ruined like the last 14 first-round picks we've had. It, it's been horrific scouting and blah, blah, blah. You know, I can go all day about that. So what would I do if I were the Royals in the second half? Because outside of uh, just calling mercy and not playing in the second half of the season, which would probably be the the less embarrassing route to go, um, they won't do that. They'll play. Um, and what 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 do you do with the roster? Well, it's interesting. Uh, since we recorded our last podcast, Chapman had gotten traded. Um, Amir Garrett, couldn't think of his name for a second, Amir Garrett, Got DFA'd, so you, those are two bullpen pieces gone. You're probably gonna trade Barlow if you like have any sense of like anything. If 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 they don't trade Barlow, it would be kind of a disappointment. He's got a year left on his contract after this. Get something in return for him. You know, like we talk about the the minor league system not being that great. He he could help that out uh, to a degree. You know, he could be you know last year's Benintendi. That's that's the type of thing that you could try and get. You probably won't get as much, but you know, you get you get what I'm saying, you know, for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, I was definitely trade Barlow. 
if anyone would take Jordan Lyles, you could go ahead and trade him. But, I mean, they don't really have a ton of trade pieces, right? Like, I guess Nicky Lopez, if anybody were interested in coming to get him. I'm trying to think of the future of the franchise and just, like, who has to stay? Who is your core? Who is your nucleus? Bobby has proven to be that. He's been raking this summer after a slow start. Mikel Garcia has been playing a lot uh, better than I expected him to coming up. He's been hitting the ball hard. He's been having a great first half of his rookie season. So I'm definitely in the mindset of keeping him uh, a part of the young core. Vinny, you know, he's hurt, but keeping him, obviously, he's a guy you're going to want to have. Prado, I mean, look, Prado came up, was hitting the ball well recently. Last few weeks has had a big problem with the strikeouts. It's interesting, right? Like, there's some position players, but then you get to the pitching. And then it's like, look, I'm pretty sure I came on here. You could probably find a million clips of me before this season. Coming on here, talking about how bad the pitching was. Talking about how doomed their pitching staff was going to be this year. And it's ten times worse than you even thought. Because Bubich gets season-ending Tommy John in April. Brad Keller's been out since the middle of May. It's just not good. And then Yarborough missed two months after getting hit with a comebacker. He returned today, uh, which is a huge help for the rotation because they were scrambling just trying to throw guys out there. Um, it, it, it's going to be like, it's going to be really, really bad. Like 26 and 65, you, you might think like it can't get that much worse. They trade Barlow, which they should. I will attest to that. They should trade Barlow. Try and get anything you can for him. But, like, when you trade Barlow and you've already traded Chapman and, like, who the hell knows what happens with Taylor Clark if you DFA him or whatnot, like, it's going to get so ugly. And it sucks. It does suck because we started rebuilding five years ago and we're worse off than we were five years ago. At least at the major league level right now, we look like shit. We are a terrible, horrible, no good baseball team that, in all honesty, I get people asking me this. People ask me, do you think the Royals will make the playoffs in the next three years? Imagine, imagine before the season, that question people would have said yes to. People would have been like, oh, the Royals in the next three years? Yeah, they, you know, they just got rid of Matheny, get rid of Dayton. Um, you know, they got a young core. Sure, in the next three years, they can make the playoffs. Yeah, we're uh, halfway through the season, and the next three seasons seems like it would be damn near impossible. I don't think, genuinely, and I think the organization kind of agrees with me here because they take two young high school prospects tonight. I don't think the Royals will be in playoff contention. I'm not saying they'll be this bad because it's like you almost have to make a concentrated effort to be this bad. But I'm not sure the Royals are in a playoff hunt until like 2027 2028 which sounds crazy like people are like damn that's far away that's kind of sooner than it might even be like name one pitcher like lynch has looked okay but name outside of daniel lynch one pitcher you could rely on going forward and you can't singer is so inconsistent um you know the rest of the rotation is just a bunch of veterans who are you know on the downhill you know, Carlos Hernandez has looked good in the bullpen, sure. But, I mean, I'm not talking bullpen. I'm talking a guy you could count on to start. 
And then you got, of course, uh, Frank Mazzucato, but he's still in single A. You've got Ben Kaderna, or Kudrna, however you say his last name. He's still in single A. So by the time they get up, which will probably be 2025, let's not pretend they're going to be, you know, aces the year that they get up. They probably won't be. So you've got to go through the development of them. I think 2027, 2028 is reasonable. And what people have to understand, I came on this show, and I said this earlier in the summer, this is not the same rebuild that we were previously in. When I said we've been rebuilding for five years, that's partially true, but this is a completely different rebuild. 2018 to 2022 was its own rebuild, all right? And it didn't work, and they fired Matheny, Eldred, Dayton. You know, they, people lost their jobs for that. They acknowledged it, and now it's an entire new rebuild. Now, I'm not saying they mean to be this bad. They definitely don't mean to be this terrible. But I do think they understood, hey, this this model that Dayton was trying to do where he would trade for like, oh, we're going to trade for like almost MLB-ready players. It wasn't working. Like the Kelvin Gutierrez trade. Like what? That's the key piece in a Kelvin Herrera trade. You know, trading Moustakas for Jorge Lopez and Brett Phillips didn't work. I like that sort of stuff, that sort of bullshit is why we're in the position we are now. And it's up to J.J. Bacoyo uh, and, and company to get us out of this, but it won't happen easily, uh, especially when you got the guy in charge, like 99% of the time is worried about the stadium uh, and not signing free agents outside of 1-11 uh, <clears throat> Jordan Lyles. But um, yeah, I digress. That That's 17 and a half-ish minutes of me talking shit on the Royals and uh, I'm not sure there were 17 and a half minutes of anybody's time, but uh, that that's my current feelings on it and uh, the draft tonight. I, you know, again, hope the best for these kids that the Royals drafted. It, it kind of does feel like, though, when, you know, and throughout the 2000s and 2010s and like Cleveland would have like a really high pick and they would take a kid and he'd be celebrating and you're like, <laughs> you know, deep down he doesn't want to go to Cleveland. Like that, that's where careers go to die. It's kind of how it must feel, you know, when you look at our organization. Like, us in the athletics, you kind of got to be like, oh, shit, I got to go to the Royals. I got to go to the athletics. Like, really? Like, I could have gone to the Yankees, the Dodgers. I got to go to the Royals. Um, yeah, not good stuff. Um, but football season isn't too far away. So, uh, this pain is luckily not, or shouldn't be lasting much longer. Um, we can only hope. Okay, on to football. Good little segue there. I'm doing my top 40 quarterbacks, and I'm going to do 20 through 11 now. Um, if you haven't heard 40 through 21, go back and listen to the last two episodes, because uh, I'm not repeating all of that right now. That would be way too long. Let's just go ahead and get it started at 20. I have Ryan Tannehill. Kind of a fall-off for Ryan Tannehill, not going to lie. And I've always been a Ryan Tannehill guy. Like, I really, really liked Ryan Tannehill when he got drafted by the Dolphins. Thought he was always a little bit underrated. And then I thought his career was over. You know, he gets traded to the Titans to presumably be uh, Marcus Mariota's backup. But then, nope, Tannehill gets a shot. And him and the Titans have a really good year. And he gets a big contract extension and all of that. But I think we're seeing the end of Tannehill. Um, obviously, they drafted Will Levis high in the second round. The year before, they drafted Malik Willis. It's clear the organization is looking to, to move off of Tannehill. He can't stay healthy anymore. Even when he is healthy, he's not as productive as he was in, say, 2019, uh, 2020, when he was, you know, 
he was an above-average quarterback at that point. Right now, I have him at 20. To me, 20 is average to below average. I think he's fallen into that category. Um, is he terrible? No. He's serviceable. Can he win you a game? Yeah, he can win you a game. And guess what? He probably won't lose you many games. Like, he's a pretty smart quarterback. Uh, but he's lost, you know, the ability to be in the the upper tier of guys. I, I have him at 20. At 19, this is a guy who I always find hard to rank. I have Derek Carr of uh, now on the Saints. Uh, in one sense, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if he lit it up this year with Chris Olave and Michael Thomas and all the guys in New Orleans. I mean, if Kamara can stay out of legal trouble. Like, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, the, the Saints are so interesting to me because it wouldn't surprise me, especially in a weak NFC, if that team went 12-5 and five and, you know, had a great year and Derek Carr had a good year. But it also wouldn't surprise me if they went, like, 8-9 and nine and Derek Carr was just average. And it's always hard to tell. Like, part of me feels like it's not to the same degree of this, but part of me feels like Derek Carr being on the Raiders that long was kind of like Matthew Stafford being on the Lions. And once you let those guys out, you know, give them a supporting cast, good things can happen. Uh, now, the Saints are not what the Rams were when Stafford got there, nor is uh, nor uh, Dennis Allen is nowhere near the coach Sean McVay is. But I do like Derek. Um, I think in a weak NFC, he's one of the top quarterbacks in that conference right now. Um but yeah, I mean he's he's had kind of a roller coaster of a career. It's crazy to think that he's only three years older than Mahomes. That is, or he's three. He was drafted three years before Mahomes. I don't know the actual age difference, but I saw that the other day that like Mahomes is entering year seven and Derek Carr's in year ten, and I was like, really? That's it? Um, okay, moving up a spot to eighteen. Boy, did this guy take a fall, Russell Wilson. I mean, those of you listening right now might even be thinking. I'm being a little nice to Russell Wilson. I mean, the year he had last year was dreadful, absolutely terrible. The Broncos were worse than anybody could have imagined. They won five games. Nathaniel Hackett got fired. Russell Wilson just for some reason couldn't do it. I mean, the guy we saw in Seattle, that was not the same guy. Now, I have him here at 18 because what we've seen from him the majority of his career is he is a productive quarterback. And you give him Sean Payton now. And I could see him, kind of like Carr. This is a team that I could see going like eight and nine, or they might have, you know, they might go like eleven and six. The AFC is a little tougher. It might be like ten and seven. But the point being, this is it's tough to rank because how much of that last year was on Nathaniel Hackett versus how much was on Russell Wilson. We'll have to see. For now, I'm going to put Russell Wilson as one of those middle of the pack quarterbacks. At seventeen, and I can't believe I'm putting this guy above him. I'm putting Daniel Jones at seventeen. Believe it or not. Actually had a really productive year last year. The thing Daniel Jones can do right now that Russell Wilson can't do as well anymore is be mobile with the football. Daniel Jones, you know, not that he doesn't look athletic, but he doesn't look athletic. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he takes off and you're like, that guy is fast as hell. Like, I would have never thought that. You look at him and he kind of has like the Eli Manning posture in the pocket, but then he takes off and it's like, wow, okay, guy's got guy's got some legs under him. Um, and I think that's a big part of the Giants offense. Dable got the best out of him. And look, if Daniel Jones is going to give you like 18 touchdown passes to seven interceptions, kind of like an Alex Smith year every year, then the Giants have a chance of competing. Not, per, not, not for a Super Bowl probably, I'll, I'll be honest. But they have a chance of competing, you know, winning. A, they won a playoff game last year. They could do that again. 
Um, I got Daniel Jones at 18. Wouldn't surprise me if he went up on this list either. Or 17, excuse me. At 16, I have Deshaun Watson. First of all, do not like the guy. Let's just get that out of the way. So I'm sure there was a little bias in my ranking here. I have him dead smack in the middle of starters. You know, out of the 32, I have him at 16. Um, I don't know, man. Houston Deshaun Watson was top five. He was a top five, top ten type quarterback. It looked like him and Mahomes were going to have a big rivalry for a while. Um, And then it all kind of went to hell. And he went to the Browns, and he got suspended for the majority of last year. When he came back, he looked terrible. I don't know what we're going to get this year. That's kind of why I'm putting him here. He's looked great before. He's looked elite before. He's played elite before. Uh, But last year when he came back wasn't great. Part of that is probably because he was out of football for so long that, you know, he finally gets back on the field. It doesn't just come back and click immediately. Um, But this will be a big year for him. Like, if he has... If he plays like he did at the end of last year, he's going to fall into the 20th, like 25th range. Like, it's not going to be good. And with the contract he's got, the Browns will not be very good if he plays like that. At 15th, I know I'm going to get some hate for this one, but I've got Tua. Look, man, you got Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, man. When people talk about the numbers you put up, you should be putting up numbers. Last year, you had those two, plus Mike Gusecki. Um, yeah, and a pretty damn good play caller in Mike McDaniel. So I don't really want to hear excuses. Yes, he got hurt like three different times last year. The thing to me is just I don't think Tua is special at anything. There's nothing Tua does that I'm like, wow, that, that that's really, really impressive. Like, he's accurate. Like, I'll give him it. Like, he's, in, you know, intermediately he is accurate. But... He's not, like, special. He doesn't make throws like Mahomes and Allen and Lamar and Herbert and Rodgers where you're, like, your jaw drops and you're like, holy shit, what a throw. Tua doesn't make those types of throws. And that's fine. Like, he's 15 for a reason. He's productive. Like, he's smart. Normally, You know, when he's not concussed, he doesn't turn the football over. Um, But, you know, I don't get the wow factor with him. And I just think if Miami had a guy like Lamar or Herbert or Burrow. or I mean, if they have Mahomes, they wouldn't lose a goddamn game. But, uh, you know, it, I just don't see it with Tua. Like, he's good, not great, and I don't see it ever changing from that. 14, I have Dak Prescott. Talking about good, not great. That is exactly what Dak Prescott is. He's been productive ever since he entered the league, but he is what he is, and the Cowboys are what they are. They will always tease, but they will never please. At 13, this guy's gained a lot of my respect recently, Jared Goff. Um, I didn't think he was very good with the Rams. And I'm talking about like when they went to the Super Bowl, I still thought he was kind of a fraud. And I really did feel that way. And then when they shipped him out, I kind of felt justified by that. And then the Lions only win three games in his first year. And I'm like, yep, I knew I I was right about this Jared Goff guy. Like he was nothing without McVay. But then this past year, you know, they're terrible for half the year. And I'm still believing that I'm right about Jared Goff. But then the second half of the year, Detroit has one of the best offenses in football, and Jared Goff goes the last two months of the season without throwing an interception. So what the hell? It just came out of nowhere. Um, When Goff is on, he has a really pretty deep ball, a really aesthetically pleasing deep ball, gigantic arm. Like, if you made, like, a prototypical quarterback, like a frame, he's got a lot of the attributes you want. Tall, you know, 
lean but not too lean and you know mobile not mobile but not like immobile you know he's like the prototypical like pocket passer that if you need to get like a 10 yard run could do it um i like golf i think detroit wins the nfc north this year and he's a big reason why at 12 i have kyler murray now i have seen some bullshit on this guy like people act like he is a scrub and look was he overrated? Like, yeah, he definitely got overrated. Is he overpaid? He's absolutely overpaid. But that's the quarterback market. You know, just, you kind of have to deal with that at this point. Like, Daniel Jones is making $40 million a year. You know, the, the there is no, you know, right amount at this point. you got to pay your quarterback what you got to pay him. What are you going to do? Not have a quarterback? Like, it, it's like the thing with, like, gas. It's like, why? what am I going to do about gas prices? I still got to get gas. It's basically what having a quarterback is. And, um... Yeah, I mean, look, he's going to miss some time this year. I'm not sure if he'll play at all this year. I mean, I hope he does, but he did tear his ACL in December. Being back by September would be quite the accomplishment, and I'm not sure the Cardinals really even want to do that and risk that because they're really not in the position to compete this year at all. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about his placement on the list. He throws a beautiful ball. He has an absolutely gorgeous release. And he is tiny, but, I mean, we all know that. Like, <laughs> that's kind of his thing. He runs around. He's really tiny. He probably won't stay healthy for a full season because of that. But I think Kyler, at this point, has become underrated. I do think people hate on him. And it's fun to hate on him. Like, his video game shit. You know, the thing in his contract that went viral. But I do think Kyler is, you know, he's not a bad quarterback. I've seen him. I see people put him in, like, like tier list like out of seven tiers i saw someone put him in the sixth tier and i'm like there there are so many worse quarterbacks than kyler murray right now um and then number 11 this will be the last one for today and just getting chopped off from the lucrative in that that'll be uh our next episode will be the top 10 so make sure you tune in for that but just missing it on my list was geno smith at number 11 geno smith wowed the nfl last year and I don't think it was a fluke. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as he was last year. But that wasn't like bullshit. That wasn't like, oh, the system he was in, like he was dinking and t-. No, that dude was ripping the damn ball down the field. And he was, I don't know a quarterback that was more accurate deep down the field last year than him. There were throws that would come up. I'd be watching Red Zone and they'd cut to the Seahawks game. And he'd make a throw. And I was like, what the hell? Like, it was ridiculous people will point out like yeah he had tyler lockett and dk metcalf he had a good offense i don't care man that guy was doing a lot of the work he had a fantastic season when seattle was supposed to be like a four win team he took him to the playoffs so geno smith gets my respect he's not top 10 because he's only done it for one year i'm gonna have to see him do it again but wouldn't be surprised if he enters the top 10 i mean what a career revival for him all right, the last topic for today is going to be NBA free agency, and we're going to specifically focus on one player and one player only, and he's a guy that's not even a free agent. It's Damian Lillard has demanded a trade, and he wants to go to the Miami Heat and nowhere else. Let me go through this from both the Blazers and the Heat's perspectives, and also I'll try and get into the mind of Damian Lillard, which is impossible, but I will try my best to do that. So let's start from Portland. He's the best player you've ever had. Whether you admit that or not, if you want to say Clyde Drexler's better, you can. But I think Damian Lillard 
as the best trailblazer of all time, and he was extremely loyal to you. Now, your franchise, you're sitting at a spot right now where you have a young Scoot Henderson, you have a young Anthony Simmons, or Simons, excuse me, like you have a young nucleus now there, you've got young player, you've got a young core there, and Damian Lillard would be great for them as a mentor, but that's not what Damian Lillard wants to do, and Damian Lillard made that pretty obvious that he wanted them to trade the third pick for a veteran. Also, they re-signed Jeremy Grant on a, a big, like, five-year, hundred-something million-dollar deal. So, I mean, they're, they're bringing back young guys. They're, they're really, really loading up on young talent, um, and, and that's fine. But I, they had to know that Lillard was not really going to want to be a part of that. Like, they had to understand Lillard might not want to, you know, waste the last few good years of his prime with a team that's not ready to win. So Portland has to think of it from that perspective – um, and if you're Portland, you have to think of it, do you really want in return like a great veteran piece? Or do you want draft capital and like a really good like young unproven piece, but a guy with potential? And I think the latter is what Portland would be looking for. So then you go into the brains of the Miami Heat, who desperately need a point guard. They lost Gabe Vincent. Kyle Lowry is 37, 38. He's almost done. Even if he does come back next season, uh, he is, he's not good enough to run the point for 82 games and then go through a postseason. He's not just not um, at this point in his career. So if you're the Heat, you really want to get this done, but you don't have the best package to get this done across the league, which is why it's important that Damian Lillard has demanded a trade to you and only you. Um, I think if the Heat, this, this is what I would say, a trade package could look like if the Heat and Blazers could come to a deal. I say you throw in Hero. I know they've said they don't want Hero, but that literally is going to have to be a part of the package. There's just no way, especially salary-wise, that that can't be a part of the package. I don't imagine this trade getting done without Hero being a part of it. So Hero, you got to throw Duncan Robinson in there. I know they don't really want him, but it's a salary thing, okay? You put... Nikola Jovic in the trade, the 19-year-old, or he might be 20 now, uh, power forward with a lot of up, a shit ton of upside, a gigantic amount of upside. He would be a great piece to add to that young core in Portland. And then four first-round picks for Dame. The players might not be what you want. Like, I know you don't want Hero. I know you don't want Duncan Robinson. It's a salary thing. And trust me, having Tyler Hero isn't the worst thing in the world. Um... And then Jovic is a young player with upside, and then you get four first-round picks. I think that's more than a fair deal. Um, that might be even a little bit of an overpay if you're Miami. Three first-round picks might be more realistic. Um, but you got to get it done. And then if you want to think in the mind of Damian Lillard, Dame was nothing but loyal and gave everything he had to the Portland Trailblazers. And should the Trailblazers make a bad business decision just because of that? No, they shouldn't. It is a business at the end of the day. But Portland should at least consider that. Right? Like at least the, the Trailblazers should consider how loyal and how great that guy was for their franchise. And if he wishes to go to the Miami Heat, they should do everything in their power to at least attempt to get that done. To attempt to make a good basketball deal go down. You might not be getting the package you want. But guess what? He doesn't want to play anywhere else. So what are you going to do? Just make him sit out? You you want to unhappy like you want that to be the end of your relationship with him because you guys Portland 
and Damian Lillard have gone hand in hand. It has been one of the most loyal, you know, players to a fan base, to a franchise we'll ever see. Uh, a franchise that didn't even deserve it. They've never really given him, outside of McCollum and Aldridge, anything to work with. Like, anything at all in the West. He's probably overachieved with that team. Um, you know, taking him to a conference finals. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just think if you're Portland and you're Dame, this, this doesn't have to end bad. It, it's been a good relationship. And we see it, though. I mean, we see it like, you know, in football, Brett Favre leaving the Packers. It, that didn't go so well. Rodgers leaving Green Bay. You know, there's there was some sourness there. Brady leaving New England. You know, that left a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. So, it's tough, you know, but I do think Portland should do whatever they can or whatever they, you know, everything in their power to make sure that they accommodate Damian Lillard to the best that they can while also making a good basketball decision. Well, that will be all for today's episode. Appreciate everyone tuning in and listening and make sure to catch us on our next episode. Peace.